Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. But yeah, when we played with you guys, the, the reaction we got obviously from you and the fans was not, not shocking as such, but it was just really, it's just really great because it just showed obviously that the, the rock scene is, it spreads across every every genre. Um, and because of the, you know, the, the fusion of Western country, Southern or whatever you want to call it, you know, some of the genres, even like say country, there's, you know, for some people, there's a nostalgia. Cause I mean, guaranteed, like a lot of metal fans, a lot of rock fans, they've listened to, to, to Johnny Cash or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so people can kind of, I don't know, sort of, there'll be one, you know, one song will tailor to their taste of that genre and, and you know, um, so yeah, the tour with you guys was just surprising. We didn't know how how we would go down, um, and like I said, people loved it. So it was yeah, an, an incredible oh, experience. Cool. That, you know, you can sort of appeal to sort of anyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Drum for the Song podcast. My name is Dane Campbell. I am your host. And today's guest is Ryan Smith from the wonderful Outlaw Orchestra. How is it going, man? Good evening. Yeah, it's cold, but probably where you are, it's probably a bit colder. I don't know. <laughs> it has been a very chilly day. Like, And I woke up. Luckily, my cat was cuddling me, which was really nice. Nice thing to wake up to. Yeah, it was nice. I think she was using me for warmth, basically. But yeah, it was like <laughs> minus three this morning, which is pretty damn cold. But yeah. We've not had mine. Well, occasionally, because we all live down on Hailing by the coast, it can get, you know, pretty Baltic. Hmm. Um, you've got the sea air. But then kind of the sea air, the salty air does kind of act as a natural sort of defrosting uh, agent, so my car doesn't frost over quite quite so much. That's a, a, a benefit. <laughs> that is interesting, actually. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, cool. Anyway, when it's summer, it's lovely. You have got the beach, but when it's winter, you just don't want to go anywhere. Nah. <laughs> so, so beach is the worst worst place to go, unless you're into kite surf, which I've done a bit in the past, but yeah, too expensive to to, to carry on. <laughs> yeah, that sounds cool. It must be nice being that close, actually. But um, no, thanks it's for. Lovely. It's a couple of minutes, a, a literally three-minute walk, if that, to, to the beach. It's all kind of stones and, and, and pebbles, but having kids and growing up by the beach, it's just, you know, amazing for them because it's like, you know, if you lived in Bournemouth or, I don't know, um, anywhere else, sort of the Witterings in Chichester, it's, you know, really, really, really busy and quite, you know, quite hectic. But Hailing's quite, you know, sort of slow pace of life. You've obviously quite a lot of elderly people on and obviously you're now getting a sort of a mixture of younger people on over the past couple of years, but it's just nice to have it on, on your doorstep, ice creams and, uh, you know, it's, it's lovely. It sounds like a bit of a dream, to be honest. I'd love to live that close to the coast personally. And I know the places in Wales that I would potentially look at would just be too expensive. I, I, I just know that. But um. Oh, well, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of where you live then, by the sound of it. Don't, so, um, I say, don't be jealous. The only downside is there's one bridge on and off. That's it. Same bridge. If there's an accident, you're, you're screwed, you know. It's okay. Basically, if there's an accident and you want to get to work, you've just got to swim, you know. That's, that's, <laughs> sort of, that's your choice, but I wouldn't want to get in the water, to be honest. <laughs> no, not, not, not in January. But, um, yeah, anyway, anyway, thanks for coming on. And um, Honestly, I know it's, it's an honour. I'm really 
appreciate being, you know, amongst the likes of Mickey D and Matt Sorum and, you know, I, I, just, I just really appreciate it. You know, it's, it's great. Uh, no, no worries, man. I, like I try and champion the legends like those guys and, and up and coming bands as well. And bands that I think are good and drummers that I think are good, which you are one of them. So, <laughs> so I, I appreciate <laughs> No, 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 no. It was great. And um, yeah, so for anyone listening, the Outlaw Orchestra did, I think, five shows with Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons yeah. in November 2021. So they were the opening band for a few shows in England and in Wales. So um, I'm just going to describe what I think you sound like, really. I would say it's very, you know, it is rock with a bit of country, bit of Western, very kind of cowboy themed and influenced lyrics. And But it's great because you're all from the south of England, not the south of America, the southern states of America, like you sound like you could be. The instrumentation is very interesting. We'll talk about that later on. So you, you'll see some instruments you wouldn't normally see at a rock gig. Um, and I think that must help you guys stand up from the crowd. Very entertaining. Lots of banter on stage. Um, so, yeah, I'd highly recommend you going to see the Outlaw Orchestra if they are playing near you or at a festival or anything like that. But... Um, that's my little plug for the band. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but that's that's pretty that's pretty accurate. I mean, we Dave uh, tries to call us metal and western or, or doom and, and western. But you are right; it is you know predominant. You know, rock music in, in every sort of every band that plays and where they influenced by I don't know hip hop or, or whatever or metal. But um, yeah, there's obviously the Americana, the country tinge with banjo the and like i said the strange instrumentation so a pedal steel yeah you don't see a pedal steel at, at a rock concert i mean before i mean when pete joined the band he only had a, he had a banjo and a and a duesenberg um lap steel so that was kind of the predominantly the instruments he used because we've always when we started as a band we've always had the um the banjo and yeah some people find it odd to have banjo in in um rock music i mean you've got bands like you've heard of the legendary shack shakers they're kind of a Hey, rockabilly, they're kind of a bit a bit mental, quite heavy rockabilly. Um right. you've got you've got Hazy Dixie, obviously, you know, kind of a say a parody band, but they're really, really good musicians. But yeah, and then you know, in sort of what we do, it is a bit odd, but it kind of it kind of works. It sort of um, like you said, it just makes us stand out a bit more, you know, even when we get you know, get on stage and people have not seen us before, they go, what they don't know what the hell they're kind of getting themselves into. They can banjo, pedal steel. Chiquita, power style thinking what's what's this band going to do and it's kind of yeah our usp i guess you know and and also what dave does he does an incredible job of playing um guitar and bass at the same time so he's got a split rig um a pedal and he's got these special pickups which pick up the kind of bottom two strings or three strings and um and he can still play the guitars normal but playing bass and he, you know it is phenomenal i mean i don't know how how he does it you know you need sort of two brains to be able to do it <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that's, I didn't quite realize that that was what was going on. So he's a clever bugger. Um, and obviously, you guys must be very aware of the, the kind of technical needs of being able to put on a show like that. And um, obviously being great musicians to play all those instruments as well. Because the, 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 I've tried to dabble on a lap steel before and I was like, this is so hard to be accurate and get the notes in tune and stuff like that. But um, yeah. Excellent stuff, uh, and your drumming is very good as well. I remember seeing your equipment on tour. You've got some interesting drums, I, I will say. 
and some we'll talk about that later on about the gear yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got a selection of, of the gear by by my side to give you a Ah, show, show and tell. Bonus, bonus for the for the YouTube watchers because not everyone watches this, but it is available on YouTube for anyone who does listen to the audio versions. If you want to see the visual stuff and see my my face and uh, Ryan's face, <laughs> so you know you yeah. <laughs> but um, let's let's go back to the beginning then. So, how did you initially get into drumming or music? So, I mean, I guess I've always been into. Uh, to music really i mean I, when i grew up my dad um you know the music he sort of introduced me to was like the who johnny cash johnny mathis the monkeys i said buddy holly um abba as well i remember that like, one girl I, I brought home i think it was like the first girlfriend my mum my mum and dad met my dad picked me up from the train station in ealing and uh she's a very pretty girl into kind of a hipstery music and stuff and i kind of was at the time and got in the car and my dad's bloody got super trooper blasting out. I'm like, oh, Christ, you know, kind of, she likes his core music and I sort of did. And I'm thinking, Abba's not really the, the way to sell it, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, I've always been into music, but drumming, it was, it was quite interesting. Um, probably about the age of 15 at, at school, um, I kind of got into like a, a worship group at the time. And I was kind of, for a period of time after that, into sort of religion and, and stuff like that. Um, not now, but... And I kind of got dabbling with um, drums probably for the, for the first time when I was 15 at school um, and just having a muck about with the guys in, in the worship band. They're like, you know, do you want to sort of, do you want to be the drummer? I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So kind of I was a beginner-ish then. Um, and it just sort of went from there. My drumming got better and better. I got sort of tutored um, by quite a lot of good drummers in the kind of worship you know, scene. Um, I just got better and better and better. And then eventually we did this, I did this battle of the bands at, at school. I kind of put it together. Um, it was me, a couple of the guys from the worship group. I was with friends with a couple of guys who were into that kind of the grunge scene. So I got into the Nirvana, Soundgarden and Mudhoney, all the kind of sub-pop grunge bands. And um, yeah, we put together a band and we basically had to do a load of covers and it was sort of, I think, maximum of five. And we ended up doing, it was funny, we ended up doing um, Jesus Christ Pose by Soundgarden, um, Californication by the Chili Peppers, um, Ace of Spades, obviously, by Motorhead. And very, very oddly, we did um, Don't Panic by Coldplay. I mean, you put that with those bands, it was a very yeah. odd, odd, odd combination. So we called ourselves... Is it motor sound garden play or some crap like that? And we, you know, we won the battle of the bands as well. It was great, but um, yeah, it just sort of my music taste changed from then. Like I said, into into grunge. I mean, my first album that I ever bought was Houdini by the Melvins. I don't know if you if you sort of seen them or I, I, you know, they they're just I think they're really great and um, you know, really heavy and quite chaotic. But the first single I bought, this is going to kind of make people laugh and probably gasp in horror. Um, was Wanna Be by the Spice Girls on, on cassette tape. I, I can't remember why I bought that on cassette. I liked the Spice Girls at the time. I think actually I went to Oxford Street with my mum when the Spice Girls turned on the lights. And I think that I went got the cassette tape from an H&B there. And obviously they're quite pretty girls back then. But yeah, I, I, I don't know, very, very, very strange. But, um, and yeah, so it's from the age of 15, uh, you know, in, in bands. I've done everything from kind of jazz, blues, metal kind of electro rock and then into obviously uh the outlaw orchestra and kind of how that started really was um when i moved to southampton in 2004 um to study i mean i did a gap year before that and um, working at virgin Mexico and heathrow airport and i saved up basically my first 
John Kills of Tama, Maple Custom. Um, I was in a, an electro rock band called Soma High, and that was all sort of MIDI triggers and everything done to a click, which was obviously really good, keeps the show really nice and slick, but kind of room for improvisation was sort of slightly difficult because you are literally a slave um, to the click. And that went on for about a year, two years. So that was about what? Uh, 2016, 2015, maybe. And okay. uh, I ended up joining a, a covers band called Hazard County. And that's kind of where I met Dave. And Hazard County was basically Southern rock covers. Um, Johnny Cash, Steve Earls, Easy Top, a bit of the Stones, Black Crows. And that's kind of where I got my um, feet really first time for, for country and Southern rock. So I've never really been into it. I've always liked metal, stuff like Slayer, prog sort of metal, like a band called Periphery, Baroness, Mastodon. Um, I love stuff like Stevie Wonder and back in the day I loved Travis for a number of years for my sins um, <laughs> quite a range then yeah yeah it was weird you'd see my CD collection like I said you'd see Slay you'd see Stevie Wonder you'd see Sonic Youth and some other cool bands and then you'd see sort of Travis in, in the T section you know very oddly and people would sort of say well what do you like them I said well you know but I'll, I'll give you a story about that later so after sort of Hazard County disbanded um, Dave and I we kind of joined this band at the time they're called Dirty Diesel Outlaw, and that consisted of me on drums, Dave on guitar, um, a chap uh, on harmonica, and he was sort of the front man, Alex, who was the double bass player, and a guy called Stephen, Stephen Welch on, on banjo. Now, the funny thing about Stephen, he, at the time, he was living and grew up uh, on uh, an estate in Millbrook, which most people down, down that area sort of know it's a fairly rough area, um, and he had his sort of hair sort of greased, on, on his forehead and he basically had a love for Earl Scruggs look up Earl Scruggs amazing amazing banjo player so he had a love for banjo music which his dad basically sort of introduced him to and drum and bass sort of a weird very sort of polar opposite um, things you know yeah. but he was phenomenal he was you know he was lightning fast um, and that sort of again went on for a couple of years did a festival up in Bristol called Grillstock and we played with like the Darkness the Shack Shakers and Goldie Looking Chain obviously who, <laughs> who, who, who um, and so we've been through some different lineup changes so the harmonica player left and it was just a four piece um, and we sort of went on for, again for a while we played Planet Rock Winter's End in 2018 which, which was actually where I first saw you guys mm. um, and sort of the first time I'd ever heard of you sort of then. <clears throat> and sort of we did Winter's End, we did a load of other really cool festivals. It was the first time really, or one of the first times that Dave became, you know, sort of front man. Um, Alex sort of left in, two, I think it was sort of 2020. Uh, and then we basically went down sort of to a trio. I mean, when we, when the harmonica player left, we basically, I, I renamed ourselves as, the Outlaw Orchestra, um, and obviously the, the setup you see now is is the current lineup. Pete joined um, about yeah February time, I think, in, in in 2020, and it was just so difficult to find banjo players that were under the age of about 89. Um, <laughs> yeah, literally yeah, kind of scoured the, scoured the country. There are either kind of beard twiddling wizards, or like I said, they you know on the on their Zimmer frame sort of thing. And then <laughs> I remember. Yeah, there's a guy called Alex Cooper who was um, he's a radio DJ on um, Express FM in, in, in Portsmouth. And um, so I asked him 
if you knew any banjo players, because we were connected through other mutual friends. He said, oh, yeah, try, try this guy, Pete Briley. He's in a, a two-piece called Hengisbury, who was sort of you know, a bit more folky. Really good, though. We sort of auditioned him and this, that, and the other, and, he, and that was it. You know, the, sort of the rest is, is history, and his instrument collection, as you can see, has just grown and grown from just a banjo and um, a lap steel. He's got a pedal steel, and he's got a Chiquita, which is... Um, John Irwine and ZZ and Bill Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top sort of help, you know, create it. Also, Michael J. Fox played a yellow one in Back to the Future. Oh, wow. um, he's got a Peely power slide, which is like basically like a a, a full on metal um, sort of power slide, all spiky and it's gorgeous. Um, I the pedal steel. What else have you got? He bought this nineteen. Oh, he's going to kill me if I get it wrong. I think it was an '87 Gibson SG he bought fairly recently, which is incredible. Um, he's just got so much stuff at his house, studio, and he's just a really good musician. He's t- toured around Nashville, played with some uh-huh. great artists. So you know, we're really lucky to to have him, and he's got such a good ear for music and chord changes and harmonies and stuff. He's just, you know, I think when he joined, me and Dave looked at each other and man, we've got to up our game. This guy's really, really good. You know, and us two sort of sloppy bastards, you know, playing in a, in, in a sort of a covers band years ago. So, so yeah, that's the setup. And I said, it is sometimes say difficult, but, you know, to fill a sound for, for a three-piece, because traditionally you have a drummer, guitar player, and a bass player. But, yeah, Dave really does, um, you know, get the low end from his split, mm. his split rig. Um, in some gigs, didn't have it on the Phil Campbell tour, um, he has a, a MIDI sort of uh, pedal setup with a with a Moog synthesizer, which you'd basically, if Dave, um, this is in the early times of him trying a split rig in the early days when he would um, do a solo, obviously Pete would use his MIDI pedals to sort of create bass. So I think when soundcheck, the, the engineer would be like, yeah, pressure pedals. And it just literally sounded like something from, you know, soft cell or Depeche Mode or something. I think it just sounds, you know, it just gets weirder and weirder. But no, we are you know a, a clever band if you like to kind of put the sound out that 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 we do um and it is fun it is fun you know things can go wrong and you know and i think sometimes the sound engineers not say they get a nightmare but they just go what instrument's that what the hell do i do with that you know they kind of look at it because it's not your traditional yeah um setup um i remember dave bought initially a ABY splitter from Chris Barrett. He basically bought a load of pedals. I think Chris was sort of doing a similar thing. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's so, so clever. I mean, you see where Dave's feet go. He's kind of like Michael Flatley sort of, you know, line dancing. His feet are everywhere. <clears throat> and yeah, it's just, it's just a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and the journey kind of the band has had, you know, we've gone from being a, you know, a band playing music to kind of, being musicians because you know i think it's different being a musician to then you know being a say a drummer you know i think being a musician it's sort of the next level of kind of creativity and sort of understanding because i think you get a lot of bands where it's just one one volume um you know all the way through but i think you listen to like um rival sons are like one of my favorite bands and michael miley there's a lot of light and shade. There's a lot of um, space for other instruments to kind of sing, um, and especially the way Michael plays. Yes, he's you know got that kind of swung feel, and that's kind of how <clears throat> how I kind of think I play. You know, kind of Miles Davis. You know, don't mean a thing if you ain't got that swing, and that's the kind of I guess sort of mentality I have in in my head. Because you know, if you play with a bit of a shuffle, if you like, or if you play offbeat or something, you know, it kind of gets people dancing, and that's. 
I think when you listen to like Motown, it's kind of got a bit of a swung feel, and, and I love Motown, and it kind of you listen to Stevie Wonder, it just makes you want to sort of get up and and, and move. You know, it's just a, an instinct to sort of, and, uh, and that's just why kind of you know I, I I play the way I play, and it just yeah. And I said being a musician, it's it's difficult sometimes, you know, because you've got to really listen out for kind of what everyone's doing in the band. Because I've you know I've never had lessons. Um, right. Okay. Actually, I, I sort of had one or two lessons when I was in Southampton, but I think, I don't know, I was sort of lazy because I didn't really want to read music. Um, I thought it was kind of just a bit too complicated. I can sort of read a bit of drum notation. I can write it a little bit, but I just listen to the music and you can kind of feel where where song's going. And I think that's just how I've always played. And it's kind of served me sort of quite well. You know, so yeah. I'm not technical, um, although, again, when I was in Southampton, I was in this band called... Um, El Colosso. I met a guy called Greg when I was at a Virgin Meg store in Southampton, I think about 2008. And it was a just three piece, me, Greg, and a guy called Neil on bass. And this is probably one of the weirdest bands I've been in, but we're good. It was, it was instrumental, prog, punk, Afrobeat. I don't know how you want to call it, but it was really heavy. And I can tell you, I don't know what the time signatures that I, I was playing. I had no idea what they were, 12, 8, 13, 6s or 24 threes or whatever but they were so complicated but it's kind of like muscle memory and you play them and play them and play them and eventually you kind of you're just playing it and honestly it was no sort of there's no verses i said no lyrics it was just the music and he greg was great at his um his guitar he had a digitech whammy and loads of other really cool things and he loved bands like rush xtc um and he kind of got me into the prog music you know genesis and um so all through my you know from starting at 15 at school in a worship group all the way to now you know the journey i've had <clears throat> i've picked up so much you know skills and i've just got an appreciation for loads and loads of different music and i think really the music i listen to i think that's influenced kind of how i play so i love like i said dave lombardo slayer michael miley rival sons um and you know ringo from the beatles you know so there's lots of different influences bonham moon you know it's just all a big sort of melting pot of um of skills and styles and i think that's really what the band is we're a melting pot of whatever you want to call us and that's kind of i think the, the great thing about us really yeah if i agree I'm, if i'm being a bit biased <laughs> no no to- totally and um i i totally agree with that and it's it's best to have as many influences as possible so your music is more interesting and i guess varied um and surprising to the listener and um it was the other day I listened to your album. Remind me what it was called. Sorry, I should have noted this down. <laughs> That's right. It's uh, Making Tracks. That's the one, yeah. So go and check that out. Um, I was listening on Spotify. Is it? Can can people buy it from you if they want to? So if you go to uh, com, you can buy Making Tracks. You can also buy I haven't got Pants of Mind Villains. That was the first album we did, but that's the that's the latest record. Nice. Uh, uh, which was out October last year. If you go back to the very beginnings of, of us, uh, that was our first ever EP. So kind of that was us back in the day. And I think after that EP, we did kind of like a self, sort of self-produced um, EP called um, called God Knows. So it's um, oh, okay. got a couple of, couple of tunes on that. Um, like I said, Pantomime Villains is I've got that with me, but that's our, our first album. So you can kind of. Yes, see see the journey and, and how how we started and sort of how far we've come. Yeah, um, how yeah I think a lot of people actually. 
yeah, absolutely. A lot of radio stations, magazines, loads of people have just said just how much of a, like I said, a, a musician's band we've become, how much of a sort of almost a maturity, like I said, really understanding that that kind of light and shade, really kind of spending lots of time on song um, arrangements, not just lyrics, you know. Yeah. Um, we've got a friend called um, Brian Ager who... I remember we did Winter's End, he, you know, sold our merch for us. He sort of helped us out and he's part of the the, the Planet Rock crew. Um, and yeah, he's been with us, like, for example, from almost day one. And he's just, like I said, seeing us how we've grown, almost like, you know, seeing a senior son kind of grow into, into a full man. And it's just really a great, a great um, journey. We've had the friends we've made as well, like, you know, you guys. And yeah. it's, it's just kind of one of the, my favorite things in, in being in the band is you come off stage we go to you know we go to hang out with our friends get absolutely you know sort of hammered not all the time but i remember we did a gig in scotland in troon called Winterstorm. we came off it was the same day we was doing um uh, skid row we're, we're headlining we just came off and just people were just you know scottish people was giving us money just giving us drinks and we honestly got so so drunk um, and we don't get that, I think, anywhere else. But, you know, hospitality in Scotland is incredible. So, it is good, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, it's interesting just to see kind of almost you know, where, where we can go next, you know. Um, we'll never do, like, backing tracks or anything. But, yeah, it's just where can we go from sort of here? So, yes, yeah, so you want to keep everything live. That's I think that's quite a cool thing. Is that there are a lot of bands using backing tracks nowadays. And there's mixed thoughts about that. And I still don't know how I feel about it. But certainly... I know the band I'm in, Phil Campbell and the Bassersons, like we're not the kind of band that will ever use a backing track or click track live probably. I think it would I'm not against click tracks at all, but I just don't think it would suit our music. I think our our music needs to move a bit. Um but yeah. Anyway, good to know that you're the same. So talking about the future, have you got any goals for the band? So I mean Dave Pete not say they'll have, they'll have different goals to me, but I mean, ultimately we want to, you know, go on tour again, uh, you know, longer tour, tour in the States. Cause we have got quite a lot of friends in the States. I'll sort of tell you about that in a, in a bit. Um, but like for me, I'd love to go on tour with like Blackberry Smoke, mm. uh, the Cadillac Three, Brothers Osborne, Rival Sons, you know, I mean, they're, obviously they're big, you know, big bands, but that's kind of where I'd like us to go is to be like a, you know, a tour support for, you know, um, a big band, Robert John and the Wreck, for example, they're, you know, I love them. They're so, so good. Um, you know, been following them for, for quite a number of years. So that would kind of be my hmm. sort of goal, you know, arenas and, and stuff like that. I mean, Pete, I think he said gold or platinum, one of those um, uh -huh. discs, you know, he said that would be a, a kind of an, an achievement. That's his sort of goal. But, nice. um, you know, being sort of played by like Bob Harris and I, do you know what? I've always wanted to go on Jules Holland. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to go on Jules Holland because I've got, you know, hundreds of DVDs in, in the garage here and a load of them are, are Jules Holland ones. I mean, people are thinking, what, what's a DVD? Um, but it's like watching um, like the Afghan wigs, Screaming Trees, Queens of the Stone Age. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'd love to be on their um, Stone Temple pilots. And but I think, you know, Jules Holland's a bit particular, but to be honest, I think, you know, if we played stuff to him, if you heard it, I think he'd probably, he'd probably quite dig it because his yeah. shows are quite varied. You get lots of, I don't know, almost like African jazz, blues, honky-tonk rap kind of artists who had like these instruments that are made from, I don't know, like a twig and a bit of fruit or something. And honestly, <laughs> so good. So good. And uh, that's the sort of thing I'd love to do is go on, yeah, a show like his. 
Cool. Well, you're certainly unique enough to do all of those things. So you just got to keep going, man. And um, aim keep, high. <laughs> aim, well, definitely aim high. Think positive. Just keep working at it, and um, hopefully opportunities will come. And like you said about supporting those bands, I don't think that's such a far off um, goal to have. Really, I think that's definitely possible. If 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 they're coming to the UK and they're looking for a UK support band that would fit in with their music quite nicely. You're one of the, like the only bands I would think of that I'm aware of that would fit in perfectly, let's say. The thing is we're not, we're not signed. You know, we've got our own, we've got our own record label, not managed, you know, we're all sort of self, self managed. We've got um, a guy called Jonathan. uh, He runs a kind of booking agency and sort of a management company as well um, called Forge Amp. And he's really good. You know, he's put, um, you know, put on a lot of shows for us, um, but we do book our own gigs as well. So, okay. so we are, you know, we've had various PR over the years, and we we are kind of pretty much self uh, self sufficient. Um, you know, I think maybe you know management is the next natural step. Maybe um, yeah. a label. I mean, the kind of music industry and labels. Do you need one? Don't you need one? I think you know, obviously different different bands, different circumstances, but. Um, it's just changed over the years so yeah. so much, you know, and lots of bands sort of do it yourself. And that's kind of what we do. And because we're in control of everything, I guess we've got that. If it's a luxury, but um, got the freedom to really almost kind of do what we want, write what we want. Um, but then, you know, you've kind of got, ultimately you'll have a, a ceiling of, of, of some sort, which you will hit. And then, you know, there is some other person, company, who will be able to take you above that ceiling and take you to the next step. So it's just things like, nat- you know, nat- natural progression. Maybe, you know, don't even go looking for it. Just sort of wait for it to come. And, yeah. you know, we've had, you know, we, we the tour, you know, that we did with you, we were playing at the um, pool, I think, the Lighthouse. It's like a an arts music centre. And we played that. And um, we were watching a band who was supporting us. And then Pete was like, Look at this, Phil Campbell and Bastard Sons. They want us to support them. Obviously, we would have loved to have done the, the whole thing, but just work and, and, and stuff. And we were just like, just came out of the blue, literally, just didn't expect it whatsoever. And me mm. and Pete were just like, oh my God, oh my God, you know, we've got to do this. And obviously, we did the, did the shows here. And like I said, it was a it was really uh, a, a pleasure to, um, you know, to tour with you, obviously, given the, uh, the, the circumstances and how it all happened and whatnot. But still, it was, you know, it, it, it was great. So for us, I think really, and, you know, the, the tour with you was probably the biggest shows we've, we've done. Oh, cool. Obviously done festivals, but in terms of just gigs, yeah, it's the biggest run of gigs we've, we've ever done, you know, highest profile. And, you know, we ticked off Thecler, the rescue rooms, I mean, Patty Pavilion, obviously you guys playing and loads of other Scarlet Rebels, Florence Black, you know, they've played it and it's a, a great venue. Um, what did we do? The Crawford Arms in Milton Keynes. What else did we do? Uh, oh, the Foundation in Bourne Valley. Yeah. That was great. So it was amazing. You know, yeah, they, like were, said, they were they were like probably the, the best shows of the tour. Maybe not Milton Keynes, but the other ones were. Yeah. I would say were the best were the best ones. You know, yeah. um, you know, but, best, best turnouts and better, better crowds. And they stuff. were, you know, they were busy. Bournemouth was incredible. I think that was probably one of the busier, uh, busiest sort of um, shows on, I mean, obviously the, the week before, you know, obviously the, the tour looked great, but yeah, like I said, we feel the tour we did with these was the next step. Cool. Um, not really in our career, if you want to, if you want to call it that. Um, 
and it's just you kind of and watching you guys you basically see kind of how, how it's done the sort of you know the, the pros how it's done you know you're a you know a phenomenal drummer obviously i, I watch right. drummers you know very close from whatever gig I'm, I'm at but just watching your, your cymbal feels amazing double pedal i used to dabble in double pedal but i just wasn't very good at it but you're no, you know i'm not that know, good at it man <laughs> not... in, in, i mean obviously you've got you know death yeah. metal band too you know yeah. but um you like is it ringleader you know oh yeah um, you know i just love it's it's kind of a, a simple kick pattern in the sort of burst bit but it's just you know you're a very good drummer oh, thanks and, man you know, the rest of you guys just tight you know obviously phil's been doing it for you know for donkey's years but yeah you todd and and obviously joel now being a, a permanent you know member which is great because he did a, a fantastic yeah, job he, he was good yeah you all you guys are so you know so tight together like a kind of a, a family and also you guys are enjoying it i think that's the other thing everyone says they look at us and we're just having a laugh we're taking the mick out of each other they yeah. tell stories which sometimes are fabricated but you know we don't sort of tell people that but um <laughs> we just look at each other and we're just smiling we're having a laugh and that's it you know and the way dave interacts with the crowd is a crowd interaction it's a very fine art and but a difficult one to really pin down i think dave he's just got the uh, the, the gift of the gab he just does it so well yeah i thought um, that he was good really good and it's just i kind of say to people it's like a two for one with us you kind of get to go to a gig but you also kind of go to a comedy show at the, uh, at the same time but um but yeah yeah no it was great and, and yeah i think you're doing all the right things you just got to keep on going and just wait for the opportunities to come and just take as many of them as you can i guess i know it's difficult when everyone's kind of still working at their jobs and, families, and you've got families yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah it's difficult uh, at, at that kind of age to kind of you can't quite prioritize the music as much as maybe you could have in your early 20s or you know i don't know how old you are but i mean when i, I just remember i'm 37 you know, you? If, you say I look, if you say I look 25, that's fine. I was going to say, you do look, you look, you look very good for your age. I will say that. So, um, congratulations. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, yeah. So that's, that's great about the band. Check out the Outlaw Orchestra. Um, if you've, if you were at one of those shows we mentioned, let me know what you thought of the band. Um, it's always good to know. But yeah, I, I read lots of great comments and people said you were really enjoyable and really different. And I, like I said, I think that's, that's what's going to get you more opportunities in the future because you just stand out from all the other kind of bands out there uh, playing on the circuit. Or I guess we're on the kind of, I don't know, I, the classic hard rock, rock hard rock, classic yeah. rock, when they call it the new wave of classic rock, which I guess yeah. you're part of as well to some degree. Um, yeah, I think everyone, we all get lumped into that, don't we? But yeah, um, uh, like one thing I wanted to touch on that, like you mentioned in the private message to me the other day, was um, yeah. you've had a bit of a rough ride, kind of the last ten, fifteen years of your life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, you you said sometimes you you suffer with like depression and things like that, and but you also said how music and drumming helps with that. So do you do you want to kind of tell the story? Um, Absolutely. About, yeah. As much I mean, as you're willing to, you know. No, I mean, you know, I'm 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 always open about my depression. I sort of explain sort of why I sort of say suffer from it. Um, you know, being open about mental health—is it new? It's not new, but it's kind of I personally feel in music, in sport, theatre. You know, it's sort of 
however many years you want to go back, you know, was can sort of sit, considered you know, uncool or, or a bit of a taboo. It's not something you really sort of spoke about, go back even further, you know, sexuality, whatever. Um, but yeah, but lots of, you know, bands and, and I said sportsmen are opening up about their, their mental health. Um, and it, it is kind of important. It, for me, it's not a case of, look, I suffer from depression, stand back or, or, or trade carefully. It's just, you know, I suffer from depression. Sometimes I have, a, have good days, sometimes I have bad days. So and I take tablets for my depression. The reason why I suffer from it, um, 2006, uh, my mum passed away uh, a cancer. She was 57 and I would have been about 20-ish. Um, then in 2013, my dad passed away of bronchial pneumonia and he, he'd hit 70, pretty good age. And uh, prior to that, he'd uh, had over the space of three years, four years prior, uh, one major heart attack got through the minor one. His, his health or his cholesterol sort of really helped. I mean, he'd have like a glass of wine every night sort of before bed and bed for him and when he'd have his dinner. It'd be about like one or, or, or two o'clock in the morning a bit. A bit odd, that's just how, how my dad was after. Obviously, lost, lost his wife, lost my mum. Um, yeah. And yeah, so it is, you know, difficult. Birthdays, Christmases, when I pass my driving test, when I graduate, actually, obviously, when I graduate from uni, my dad was there, which was great. Obviously, my mum wasn't, um, but she was in spirit. And um, so there's lots of like life moments, especially the gigs and stuff, you know. I would have loved them to have been at the, uh, the gigs that I've been doing. Um, I mean, my dad, when I was in Soma High, um, we played Camden quite a lot, did the Barfly. Oh, nice. And some other places in, in Hoxton or whatever. And he'd literally, and also I was living in Southampton still. And he'd just come along and he'd be there from maybe eight, eight o'clock when I got there. We'd sort of do these weird sort of club night shows where we'd gone at like 12, one, sort of half one in the morning. And he's there, you know, at, at two o'clock having um, a beer. Um, and he's just a massive supporter of, of my music, what we did. We even went to a, a Travis concert once, you know, seeing him jump up and down. And this was actually... Must have been, yeah, after he had his sort of minor, minor stroke. But yeah, so like I said, some days I feel I, I feel great. Some days I feel a bit crap, you know. It could be circumstantial, you know, how the day's going and things like that. But drumming really does, for me and my family, of course, you know, the, the drumming really does help alleviate the depression, almost kind of almost il illuminate it because you're there in the moment doing what, what you're doing and you're kind of thriving off the drumming uh, the sort of people's reaction to hanging out with your bandmates and all the sort of friends you made through being in the band. And you just forget, you just forget about it, you know, cause you're focused on, on what you're doing. It's a bit different, different, like say if you're just doing a job, um, you know, that. Yeah. Going to an office like doesn't you. normally make you feel like that. Apart from the, yeah. the friend, you yeah, well, I guess you had the, the, the social aspect of an office that I know a lot of people, have been missing during the lockdowns and stuff, having to work mm. from home. So I guess, yeah, I, maybe I was wrong by using that as an example. But yeah, you don't get the physical aspect of, and and yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean, totally. It's, it's kind of like the friends and the band, you know, it's a different family. You know, you've got your family at home, which I said, are great, you know, I love my son Atticus and my daughter Beatrice. She's three, he's four, he'll be five soon. Um, and my partner Rosie, great, you know, great people, great kids. But just like I said, the family 
of, of music because music for me is just it's escapism I think it probably is for a lot of people yeah. they'd probably be able to you know testify to, to what I've said about music helping mental health um and yeah I, I'm really honestly I'm, I'm sort of really open about it I'll kind of sometimes anyway tell people early on in a, in, in a conversation just because I don't know. I, I, in my head, I kind of want to get it out of the way. Not because if someone mentioned it later down the line, a year, two years, knowing me, asked me about my mum and dad, it's going to cause a problem. It's just, yeah, you know, yeah. I do get depressed sometimes. That's who I am. And like I said, some, not everyone, obviously, but some people might be like, "Well, oh, you're in a band, you're depressed. You know, oh, that's not cool. It's not rock and roll." But you know, what is sort of rock and roll? Rock and roll is having fun, being with your friends. Yeah being with other bands like yourself just having having a good time forgetting your day job and stuff like that and just exactly yeah yeah escaping you know and it does it does really help you know and not gigging you kind of go uh, you kind of back to back to reality but you know i'm kind of looking forward to to, to doing it again you know this year like i said earlier is it's picking up you've got festivals booked and, and you know quite a lot of gigs and hopefully some recording of um some covers because on Spotify we did a, a, an online release called Under the Covers, which we, we covered uh, like the animals, the stones, and stuff. So you can nice. listen to that, it's been under the covers. Yeah. We'll be doing another one uh, soon because I think releasing new music is kind of important to stay abreast of, uh, of kind of everything, absolutely. But yeah, um, yeah drum, drumming is a, a massive, uh, a massive help. And I know drumming, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. and it's yep. kind of like, you know, you feel confident in yourself. Excellent. Yeah. And um, do, mm. just while you mentioned you've got some festivals coming up, are there any you want to plug now for people who listen in um, the UK or whatever? Loads. So um, we're doing a country festival up in up in Carlisle with quite a lot of um, uh, the Mitre Crown Hotel in March. Is it March? Yeah, in March, um, with a lot of sort of really good country acts like Gasolina Matches, Kezia Gill, who's won hundreds of, uh, of awards. She's great. Mm. Um, I think <laughs> we're doing Buckle and Boots, uh, which is up in Stockport. We did that last year. Uh, so, honestly, it's so many to remember. Go, go on Facebook. Yeah. Go on, on my profile. You know, all, all the gigs are up there. Uh, I think we're doing Slim Jim's. Hopefully in March, at the end of March, um, in London. So yeah, it's just loads, loads of gigs to sort of too many to to to, to mention. Fair enough. Um, okay. No, good. That's good to see that you've got lots one, of. Hopefully one day we'll we'll kind of you know us and, and you guys will come together and do some gigs one you know another yeah. day because it, it, it was a lot of fun you know but we're hoping we can because we're doing lots of driving back you know yeah um, it sounded like you had you were logistically it was quite difficult for you guys um, it was just like. Milton Keynes, we sort of drove up, came back same night. Tuesday, we had off, and then yeah, the Nottingham and Bristol, we stayed over, which was great. Bournemouth was just around the corner from from Pete, um, so it wasn't diff- difficult for him. Um, and then Wales, we drove back the uh, the same night. But hopefully, mm. you know, one day we'll be one of those one of those buses, and we just be on the road for for for, for weeks. Bring the kids, bring the dogs, and stuff. You it's know. A dream. It's a dream. Um, so, do you know the Wild Hearts? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jim, we did. Um, a festival years ago called Rocking the Bowl in Sheffield. Um, it's been going for a couple of years now. A great festival. Steve and, and Zaney Hughes we put it together. And um, we got chatting to, to Ginger and he, his dog, I think it was a sort of a collie, is it a collie cross? And he just takes takes his dog on, really? on tour with him. She wow. was lovely. And it, you kind of think, how how do you manage to, 
you know, whether he has a part of his crew, like a sort of the dog sister. But yeah, you know, it, it was great. And she mm. went up on stage with him whilst they were playing. And, you know, it was, it was great. So I think one day what I said to Rosie is, you know, the kids are probably a bit too young to, to lug my gear. I haven't got the muscles yet. But, you know, I hope one day they'll just be lugging my gear around for me. And, you know. And so that's a good point. And talking about your, your gear, um, let's talk about what you're using now. Then, um, so the kit mm. I remember, you had a you had a big fat snare drum, and some. Pecu- that was yeah. I haven't got that down by the side because it's bloody heavy, and I'll do my backing. I was going to say, um, but it's by um, a company called Q Drum Co. Um, who are based in LA. Um, one of the sort of co-owners and, and builders is um, Lan Rubin, who. Drums and Nine Inch Nails ah. and um, Inch Nails, obviously, Lam Rubin, son of Rick Rubin. Um, so, yeah, is they're he, based in he, LA. Is he the son? I didn't know he was the son of Rick Rubin. Yeah. Ah. Because I know, I know of Ilan Rubin since, well, since since he joined the Lost Prophets back in the day. That's when I yeah. was first aware of him. And obviously, he's, he's you know, I know the, the bands Angels and Airways, Nine Inch Nails. I'd love to get him on the show one day. So, um, oh, yeah. He, he'd be he'd amazing. Probably talk to you about the drum building yeah yeah that'd be um, cool but yeah so obviously very very related but um yeah so yeah i kind of cue drums i sort of saw i went to see nice nails at the motor point in um in cardiff and uh yeah i thought what, what kit is he using and you know trying to figure out was it wood or, or was it kind of aluminium or whatever but yeah it was, it was um so we saw the the Q logo and i was like oh, okay i'll sort of you know got it from la got imported by um company called Sound Attacker in Colchester, like with Scott Lewis who sorted it out. Um, and I thought, I'll, I'll try it. Never played a, a, a copper kit, which is what it is. I'll show you in a second. Um, I thought, I'll give it a go. I read some research that out of all uh, the metals, copper's quite um, a controlled sound, quite warm. Out of all the metals, it's kind of the lower, the lower end. Obviously, like your brass, for example, is really quite cutting. I think the snare, the first snare you had before you went to the... Is it the Ludwig one? Was that metal or was that wood? Oh, me. Sorry. Oh, yeah, on tour. Yeah, the one yeah. I was... Um, yeah, I was using a birch snare for the start of the tour, and then we did yeah. buy uh, a Ludwig um, Acrylite, which is aluminium. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, that was my first time ever playing an aluminium snare. And I, one of the reasons I looked into trying one of those was because people say they're quite flat-sounding, as in mm. they don't have a lot of overtones and things like that, which is quite nice for... It's nice to have an option because lots of metal snares have lots of overtones. Yeah, lots of sort of bright attack and yeah. yeah. So I've got a I got a steel snare drum which is very bright, and I got a brass, which is is that the, is that the Mickey D one? No, the Mickey D one's birch. The the brass snare drum I've got is a Phil Rudd signature actually from ACDC, and that's a lovely snare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a great one. But um, yeah, it's 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 not as bright as the steel. But it's loud and yeah, it cuts through yeah. great. But yeah, I've never had <laughs> copper or anything like that, so I'm, I'm interested. Apologies for interrupting this episode of Drum for the Song. I really hope you're enjoying it so far. I just wanted to take a few moments to tell you about my Patreon page. This is a place where you can support the podcast in exchange for some bonus content. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. There are three tiers available at the moment. 
One is three pounds a month, one is five pounds a month, and the other one is 10 pounds a month. Each tier grants you access to exclusive benefits, which include bonus episodes, early access to the main episodes, private Facebook group membership, merch discounts, discount on Motorhead beer, as well as a monthly competition to win Motorhead beer, access to Skype chats with me, asking my guests questions, occasional free gifts, like drumsticks, free tickets to Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons shows, and your name in the episode description. If you regularly enjoy the podcast and think you would enjoy those benefits too, please consider signing up. If you didn't already know, I do everything for this podcast all by myself. So I do all the contacting, all the research, all the interviews, all the audio editing, all the video editing, all the artwork, all the uploading, I write all the descriptions, I build the website, everything is just me. So essentially the money from the subscriptions helps me keep a bit of time free during my weeks so I can continue making the podcast for you guys. So again, that's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. Check it out and enjoy the rest of the episode. Drum for the song podcast. When I had the maple custom, the Tamar, let's say my first kit, it was obviously maple's quite a, a warm sort of softwood. Yeah. Um, and I experimented with like different different heads, different symbols. I'll sort of show you them in a bit. But yeah, copper's just really warm and fat. Um, mm. I kind of I always gravitate back to Motown. Um, you listen to kind of the sound. Obviously, you've got to take into consideration the... Um, the sound recording equipment that was available then, the techniques and technology and stuff. But yeah. you listen to a Motown snare, as I'd put it, you know, it's quite dry and quite yeah. fat. Uh, I said it's not echoey. It's not like a, a stadium sort of kit. You know, as much as I love, you know, Bonham and Zeppelin, you know, it's not a really boomy echoey kit. So let me see if I can grab it. Yeah, um, please do. But what I was basically... What I wanted to do, and I remember the sound engineer when I was in Stoneman High, he sort of found it a bit weird. But I said basically, I didn't want a kit that was sort of bright copper, shiny, and you know, I wanted something that looked a bit industrial, something that looked a bit like wood, but obviously isn't. Uh, it's kind of if you imagine, like, a, I don't know, you go out into the sticks in, you know, in the in America, the South, or whatever, and you will see like a rusty oil can, a rusty, you know, steel drum, or something like that. Something that's a bit industrial. And basically, I'm going to see that's kind of oh, wow. it, you know. So it's, I mean, you can. It, it know, almost it's, it's looks like a, yeah, it almost looks like wood grain, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks like wood with kind of copper inlays. Um, I'll explain the finish in a second, but basically, it's a sheet of copper that's one, a single sheet that's rolled. Um, and the way it's joined is really cool. You can see there, it's kind of riveted. Oh, so yeah. it does look really, really industrial. Um, and basically, what this sort of finishes, I mean, you probably see, you might be able to see it there, sort of it's gone, you know, the, the, it's basically the, the metal's naturally kind of oxidized. There's, yeah. It's called a patina. So it's like a chemical oxidization process that gives it that kind of finish. Um, and yeah, I just didn't want it to, like I said, look shiny and, and, and wooden. But yeah, the metal, they're, they're not particularly heavy because um, it's a single sheet. Um, so, you know, it's, it's quite delicate, but basically at the top and bottom, they've, um, got 
45 degree bearing edge maple reinforcement rings so obviously ah. that helps with the sound as well yeah um and the way that obviously i don't know the secret but the way they've done the bearing edge they've kind of rounded it off so basically the head sits more on the bearing edge you know of the the, re the reinforcement ring than it does the metal and that's yeah. kind of really one of the things that gives you um the sound because obviously if you just a head you know just straight on metal it, you know just cut um and what heads i use so i've been with code code drum heads for for a bit so i use their generator series which um it's, uh yeah double ply I use a coated on the top and a coated on the bottom so it kind of do you have double ply on the bottom more... as well yeah so okay. it's a bit more dampening it's yeah yeah you know what you did with um one of your podcasts with with mike mike yeah. heaton um and i've been using them probably since i said the winter's end gig because i've done evans remo aquarium i've done probably most of the brands and um and just code i just found and especially with the copper kit the tuning is just a lot easier like it's just the, the range special on copper actually is quite you know quite wide you can crank it up and it'll sound great but you can really tune it quite low um and it, and it still sounds great it's kind of that's what cool. Q said is copper is almost like a natural EQ EQing metal. It's really weird because it's got something to do with I can't remember. It's quite scientific, but say like obviously like a sharp, you know, a really shiny metal, and obviously sound bouncing off a, a you know a polished surface is different to to like the inside is kind of the copper's been brushed quite heavily. Yeah. So again, it sort of the sound dampens quite a lot. So and it's just great, you know. Um, the code heads on, on the entire kit, so generators on the toms, um, a blast head on the kick. So it's a 22 kick, 22 by 16. The toms are 14, 14 by 12, and the tom is 16, no, 18 by 16. The reason it's 18 by 16 is the car I had at the time. If I got an 18 by 18, it wouldn't have fit. So I went for it. Oh, for, right, for yeah. yeah, I was going to say that's massive. <laughs> But uh, I, I would like your kit. I would love to have two toms, but you know, I would, wouldn't be able to fit. But maybe, maybe one day. So that's yeah. So that's the kit I use. And yeah, the um, hoops, um, the diecast hoops. They're they're quite chunky. On the snare, like I said, you can't see it. It's got a trick throw off again. Diecast hoops. Um, same sort of heads. Obviously, it's got a TRS. Uh, not a TRS. Beg your pardon. A Sterling head, which again is two ply with a reverse dot. And again, that's quite. Um, with the way I, I sort of tune it, it's quite warm. I get the the snare wires quite loose, tune the head, the top head quite low. Mm. Occasionally, I use either a moon gel or like um, uh, a tone control adapter, which which I got from Code, and it just sounds really fat. And so I do a lot of shuffle work yeah. um, on on the snare. I can I don't know, just get it's just a really nice warm sound. And and funny enough, you don't really the way I've tuned the the bottom head as well, and the way I've got the wires, you don't really get a lot of snare buzz, which Occasionally, that can be really annoying when you know there's no music and someone's talking. You just hear the you know, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's um, hard to avoid that it, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I've got um, on the snare a pure sound. It's called an EQ snare wire. So I think typically most snare wires, I think it's eighteen or twenty plus strands. It's obviously quite quite thick. Um, so they're copper strands, and I think there's only on the on the EQ uh, snare. Wire, I think there's only eight or nine. So it's quite a thin. I see. Um, There's less, less wires. Yeah, so and that, I guess that's sort of one of the 
um, well, the reason why you get sort of less snare buzz. Probably. But yeah, the kit just sounds great. Everyone said how how great it sounded. I mean, I used to stuff a duvet and towels and, and God knows what into the kick drum. And then we did one gig, uh, and this guy Bradley, who's a sound engineer, done a couple of gigs. Well, he said, take take the duvet out because the kick sounds dead, you know. But from, from my point, I thought it sounded great. But from a sound engineer's point of view, he said, you know, it's you just never, you know, people from the audience, sound engineer, they can hear, you know, different sounds. Um, so I took it out and it's not boomy again. It's got a bit more echo, but it's still quite controlled and sort of minimal sustain. So is it comp- and it just sounds, it just, it just sounds great. And so it's- I think I'd always use use metal. Um, like they said, the snare is so heavy. I can't remember how many sheets of copper it is, but it's so thick. And yeah, I used to have a Matex Black Panther once, which was steel, and that weighed a ton. But I think uh-huh. this is probably probably heavier but i don't go to the gym so it's exercise for me <laughs> <laughs> good point no cool man that's um and i remember you added some interesting symbols as well that i guess you don't see as often what, what brand were the symbols so um so it's by a company called um Diril symbols so a guy oh, yeah. called ibrahim Diril. he uh he basically created the minor byzant series and the paste pasty how you want to say it uh, I think the B20 series. So I'm not a fan of, I think, I can't remember. Did you use A Customs, I think? Back in the day, yeah. I did. Yeah, I, I used Peisty 2002s now, yeah. But I have but, used yeah, well, Yildon A Customs before. Poly- yeah, so some sort of polished symbols I've never really been a fan of, sort of too bright, too splashing. That sounds like a really bad term, but just really sort of too bright. And it's, again, you know, different. Yeah. symbols different drums for different applications but i've always liked like the the k customs yeah uh, i've always liked the minor sort of byzance series the kind of dark raw finishes um and so what i've basically got is sort of similar to the byzance series so um so the hi-hats uh let's get the top one so it's called a primitive series and it's you can see from this it's very very oh. raw yeah. Very, very dry. So you've kind of got a really dry, raw, um, sort of almost hi-hat bell, complete random hand hammering, which is which is great because it makes every sort of symbol sound unique. And then on the sort of bottom, it's it's not shiny. It's more brushed than anything. So obviously, same top and bottom. These are 13 inches. Now, it's very weird. I used, I think I, <laughs> I got a Byzant set of hats, a 13-inch pair, ages ago. By, by mistake, I thought I'd bought a 14-inch pair, but, you know. <laughs> and I was like, okay, 13-inch. I was like, okay, it's, uh, it's a bit brighter, obviously it's a bit smaller. Um, and I've just always stuck with 13s. I quite like the chick sound of a, of yeah. a 13. It's a bit, yeah, obviously a higher pitch. But because they're raw and they're quite dry, so they don't, you know, again, the sustain is quite um, minimal. They're not particularly... Um, overly thin they're quite thick so obviously the resonance and sustain is going to be going to be less yeah uh, i understand what you mean the, then. so i got an 18 so both my crashes are 18s this is called an, an ice which is a similar to like the the myzance uh, uh minor byzance dual finish series so basically you've got like a, a raw a raw sort of finish on the, most of it um it's quite a bright bell and then a sort of a, a polished outer but mm. so then on the bottom Again, it's like my hi-hats. It's, it's um, got that raw kind of dry finish. So you'll get quite a good sort of initial attack on it. But again, because of the dry finish and the thickness of the symbol, um, I said the decay is, is quite minimal. And that's kind of 
I don't know, I just think if you've got symbols that are sort of really sort of crashy and splashy and, uh, you know, it's going to sort of overwash on sort of other, you know, other instruments, other me, obviously, yeah. you know, play the drums quieter and this, that and the other, but I just think sometimes when you want to go for it and sort of really rock out, sometimes you're hitting those symbols quite hard. Um, yeah, it sort of could sort of be quite definite. I mean, I use in-ears, which is, you know, I didn't used to wear in-ears, but I'm sort of glad I do now because um, apart from when I was in the electro band, it just, you know, protects your hearing. Of course. Uh, two more cymbals. So again, 18-inch. So this is what is called a silk crash. So this is a bit of an odd cymbal. So it's complete. It's quite, it's basically sandblasted. Mm -hmm. um, the metal's been sandblasted. So again, it's quite a thick cymbal, but because of the, the sandblasted surface, it, the sound's really weird. It's very, again, a very short decay, but the sound is quite, it's quite trashy. I guess that's kind of why I like the dark symbols. They're quite, quite trashy and very, sort of the sounds are quite complex. Mm. Um, again, on the bottom, it's a polished surface. So okay. again, that just gives you a completely different sound. Um, and again, they're all completely random hand hammered points. So very, very unique sound. Now, the ride symbol, it's not, it's not that, you know, resemblant of an A custom. It's the, like, I don't know what paint, you know, price this is I'm thinking of, but this is probably more of a traditional uh, ride. So this is a 22 inch. This is called an Aslan. It's called quite like, I bought it purely on the name, but also the sound files. Nice. Um, so it's sort of, it's not shiny. It's sort of lathed and sort of, a, you know, brushed a little bit. You can see sort of there, you've got some hammering points sort of, yeah. There and sort of, you know, in a, a sort of uniform pattern. And then Beautiful. You know, again, same finish at the bottom. But I quite like it because it does it does crash a bit. But again, I don't like really crashy cymbals. And, you know, again, it's just trying to, I guess what I've learned as a musician is just sort of the sound and everything. Less is more, you know, volume doesn't necessarily make things better. So I've kind of gone yeah. for almost like less volume um and one of the things say which is really clever um i've been working with uh synpad for not very long less than a year um and just looked at uh, something they developed sort of fairly say recently maybe a couple of years they're called um moderators so what they are is basically a set, you know a special kind of um foam dense you know density foam um and what they do so Sort of these things here so yeah. that's uh 80 mil that's the 70 mil what they basically do is they sit obviously at the bottom of the uh symbol stand and what it does it sits kind of underneath the bell mm -hmm. and it basically it mute not mutes as such but it dampens the sound from the bell outwards so again it shortens that decay shortens the sustain yeah doesn't have an effect on the tone of the symbol you know it doesn't change that but it just does bring the volume Takes the edge off. It does. So yeah. I use on the sort of the most lively symbols as such. So the ride and the jewel finish crash, I'd use a thicker, you know, a wider one just to cut it down. But whereas um, on the silk crash, so the um, sandblasted one, I use just a, um, a 70 mil because I said that has a short decay anyway. Um, and then on the hi hats, it's just um, what they call. Um, a chromatic so it's sort of you know like that except it's black um but it just okay. helps the, the hi-hat sit just a bit better on the clutch um i know you think sort of symbol foam or felts or whatever you think they're just you know little pieces of 
you know, essential equipment, but they're, they're actually quite, you know, they're, they're quite clever. Um, so yeah, I'm really glad, you know, the, the guys at Simpad are working with code, derailed, Q drums. Um, Great. The next thing I got is my, is my sticks. Um, so you've probably, I think you've probably heard of the London drumstick company. I mean, they've got yeah, almost difficult to tell all the drummers they've got, but they've got um, Scarlet Rebels drummer. They've got a chick who drums with the Kiefer Sutherland band. Like, yeah, honestly, they've got hundreds, hundreds of artists, but they're just growing. So the thing I like about um, the London drumstick company is they basically fully, you can have a fully customized stick with your artwork. You can have almost an unlimited amount of customization options, diameter, length, etc. So I've got um, a, what's, it's a 7A. Um, it's a fastback snare so ba- uh, stick. So basically there's more weight on the, on the bottom of the stick. So you kind of, the rebound effectively is, is more, I mean, I've played with um, like Promark uh, sticks where they had like the forward balance or the sort of what they call the rebound balance. And that's kind of what I've got. Um, it's got a long, um, oval tip that's kind of what i've liked i've used like acorn tips before but i find the long oval tip gives me a better play on on the bell of the um of the ride so this is yeah. for a 14.8 mil diameter so 14.8 mil thick uh, and 42.2 mil long sounds very specific but very <laughs> kind of, i like to have like a, a long reach on on the stick yeah um i've had <laughs> The reason I went for that length is some of the Pro Marks, Winston's that you know that I've used. I don't know; they've been a bit short, and occasionally I've found maybe where I've positioned a, a symbol, I've gone to hit it and I've missed it. Yeah. Maybe I'm just not looking, but I've just thought, you know, I was going for something a bit longer, um, and just yeah, you know. And, and the, the great thing is, I've got uh, you're probably not going to see it because of the light, or maybe. So you've kind of got their logo, my signature, and this, that, and the other. So I've called this series the Trailblazer. Um, and it's great, you know, it's a great, um, I've got two versions. I've got a hickory and a maple version, um, and I just use both. Sometimes I just like to to change it up um, with the feel in my hand, you know, so they're nat- it's a natural grip, so there's no stick wax or anything, and they, you know, sort of sit really well. So, yeah, I've spent a lot of years developing sound, style, and, you know, the equipment, and I've kind of set, you know, settled on a, a good setup that hasn't sort of, you know, hasn't really failed me yeah um, i was gonna say yeah it seems to be working for you and it seems to be a perfect match for the music in the outdoor yeah, orchestra as well like when, when you were it saying about fair. the symbols it's, it's completely different than my band where i'm trying to compete with with a distorted bass and two really loud marshall stacked distorted guitars that's why i have the louder symbols that, that cut yeah. through, just cut through and have a bit longer sustain because otherwise they wouldn't get heard and i guess it's a completely different style of music but um yeah it sounds good and um yeah sim pads i've dabbled with those in the past like, i think i was using some on tour but the the kind of i guess the smaller ones that not the, the not the wider ones that you you were talking about which dampen yeah, the symbol i think i don't like 40 mil maybe yeah i'm not sure what they do but um yeah i've used those before um and the other thing i thought they don't wear wear away as much as felts sometimes felts yeah, kind felts of wear down and the time with the weight of the felts they just squash yeah as well you know so these are these uh, because don't it's do quite that. a high a high density foam you know it's yeah you know. Uh, i'll tell you the other thing which is great i don't have it in my stick bag but i've got um with the tama i think they're road pro stands or whatever they're quick release um 
what do you want to call them? The top, so you know, you just squeeze two red things and it just pops off. So I remember you I got know. the typical wing nut and you're just spinning it off, off and off, and you're basically sitting there just sort of doing that for ages, waiting for the bloody thing to come off and then doing it, you know. And some people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't um spin them down enough. So you play a gig, some drummer hasn't, you know, wound it down enough. And it's basically it's just pinged off. You think, where is that? But these are actually, you know, quite good. Obviously, I'll do them. But yeah, I think it's I just for me, it's like yeah, a quick setup done, you know, really quickly because you know the rest of the guys have got a lot of equipment. And if I'm set up first, you know, or you know, reasonably quickly, it just makes sort of sound check and and sort of getting a gig um, sort of up together quite quick. I remember the Nottingham gig. I think we got. Four, four minutes, I can't remember, something quite specific. She didn't have a channel for the in-ears, but it's like four minutes and obviously, it's, you know. Oh, yeah, I, think I remember that. From the that. first gig to, the, to Wales, I think it went from like two, three minutes. And I think every gig progressively, I think we ended up in Wales with with 10 minutes or something. It was quite funny. But I think, honestly, <laughs> when you've got to think on your feet, you want a quick quick setup. You want to know the gear you've got is going to work. Obviously, drums, it's acoustic, nothing electrical. So, you know, electrical things, they can sort of... Um, go wrong from, from time to time but at least if you're set up you can kind of uh, let everyone sort of focus on, on getting them set up so so yeah great great setup great gear and uh, so mike from code's been amazing over over the years yeah, really a, you know really supporting me um, he's a lovely the guy from, from derail um so the guy called gabriel um and a guy who used to work there called um pierre giorgio they're um based out in italy the distribution center um but no, no, they've been they've been really good you've been great um and will will richards he's actually probably he's in a band called city of thieves you've probably heard yeah, yeah. great drummer honestly really nice guy um he's just really sort of stuck with me everyone has to be honest and i've really you know really try hard on, on social media to kind of you know cross promote because you know if you're endorsing a brand they're kind of endorsing you as an artist it is yeah. you know Important. a business relationship you know completely symbiotic and um you know it's kind of like a job in a way you know you do a gig you take a picture do a review whatever you know you've got to as much as they're supporting you by you know doing the gear at, at whatever price you know in return you've got to really push the brand even you know even if they don't need pushing i mean i think code has come a long way in their design and their products and stuff but you just got to, you know, you've got to support them as much as they support you. I think, and that's the thing with bands, like you go on tour with and this, that, and the other, you got to sort of support them as, as much as they're on the same, whether they're a bigger band or, or not a bigger band, you know, then you, you've got to support them because, you know, you just never know on the sort of ladder that you're on, bands are coming up through the ranks, or if you're supporting a bigger band, they'll be like, oh, hey, you know, that band were really cool or they were easy to work with. You know, you never know kind of who's who's watching and, and this, that, and the other. So you've got to be, yeah. you've got to be, um, be nice to everyone. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Yeah. Like Bill and Ted said, like, be ace to each other always or something. I think that's kind of true, you know. Yeah. You've got to try hard. And as much as maybe, you might even think it's a, it's a competition because you are competing maybe, say, against each other. But, you know, every band wants to do better than, you know, the, the, the next band. And it can be quite, quite tough. But yeah, you know, music is a is a is a big family, and you got to support each other on and off the stage. I think as well, you know. Yeah, great advice, and um, it's definitely a common theme on the podcast. Podcast, don't be a dick. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, you're right. And um, in terms of bands you're playing with, festivals and staff and promoters, 
you just want to show, you know, turn up, be polite to everyone. And then, you you know, they're going to ask you back. If you turn up and get pissed up and start being boisterous and, and breaking things or, or, you know, I'm just silly examples, really. They're going to go, oh, that was that band that, uh, did all that stuff. We won't get them back, back again. Or likewise, if you're supporting a band, you want to put on a good impression, get off the stage as quickly as you can. And you guys were That's really it. good as far as I'm aware, I was told. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's the, like, okay. we, we've not had any bad, bad comments yet. Yeah, good. Um, That's important. Like, like, what, like the, to... what the hell is a pedal steel doing uh, on a rock stage? But, you know. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> yeah, screw that. But um, no, cool. I really enjoy It's really interesting to see your set because it is very, very unique, like the music you play. So thank you. Um, it's quite a simple setup. Like, yeah. It's, you know, um, it's a three-piece, four-piece kit, you know, kick, snare, high-rack tom, and a floor tom, you know, I guess your traditional... Hmm. Three, three or three tom setup, or you know, five hundred toms. You know, if you're Mike Portnoy or or Neil Pert, um, I've always thought you know the simpler sort of the better. And it's, I, I don't know I find triplets doing it on yeah sort of a high rack tom and a floor tom easier than kind of I don't know just coordination. Um, I just find it easy going from the sort right. of floor tom back to the snare, and I just found that's just you know the way I prefer to play. And some people like to have you know row toms and two floor toms or whatever but um yeah simple setup yeah simple but good sort of quality um gear and yeah and you've definitely thought about it you've definitely thought about what you're playing and why you're playing those um options and materials and so yeah that's cool because i think a lot of people will just go oh i just want a tama kit because Lars plays one and just, you know, things like that, which is nothing wrong with that. But I mean, you've really thought about every part of your kit and why you like coming out of the sticks, how uh, the, the, the weight of your sticks and what tip you want. And, you know, a lot of people don't even think about that. They just go, oh, Vic Firth 5As, they're popular. I'll just use those without even really trying other things. But anyway, let's move on now. Um, I've got a, as, as you know, if you, if you listen to this a lot, I've got a Patreon page and one of the, the benefits of signing up to that this is the top tier they get to ask my guests a question so i've got a couple of questions for you if you don't mind ryan so definitely first one's from paul hutchins actually he's got two questions for you does he's greedy bugger i know he is good at the questions or he does come up with some good ones um does the on-stage camaraderie that is such fun to watch continue off stage and if so, has it ever got out of hand? E.g., pranks that have gone wrong. Pranks. Um, I mean, it definitely does. The camaraderie does uh, continue um, off stage. The only thing is, I do snore, um, and when we shared the hotel um, in in Nottingham, Nottingham on the tour, um, yeah. Dave's a light sleeper, so he'll always be like, fuck hell, Ryan, you know, you were snoring, I couldn't sleep. So he'll end up sticking um, tissue in his ears to, you know, and sort of pulling um, pulling a cap over his, his his head so he can sort of see what's, what's going on. So, yeah, very light sleeper. But pranks, I mean, not really a, a prank, um, but we did have one instance where when we had Alex in the band, um, yeah, 
basically I gave him a lift down to his gig in Paul, uh, Paul Boscombe, and he sort of didn't come out for sort of two, three hours. I was kind of waiting for him, and it's about three o'clock in the morning. And um, he'd he basically been in the loose, and he was just so drunk. He just forgot where he was, and um, I was freezing my tits off outside. And he, he basically had like a, a bottle of whiskey in his hand. And uh, and I said, where have you been? He just held the bottle up. And I was like, okay, <laughs> get in the car. <laughs> so not really a prank, but, you know, sort of... Uh, when we were when we were a rock and roll band back then, you know, but now yeah, we're very very, very civil. News <laughs> night at ten, bed and a and a cup of tea. <laughs> I think we've all been we've all gone through that stage. I've 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 fallen asleep, being sick in a backstage toilet before, <laughs> and then waking up ten minutes before the bus was due to leave and things like that. I don't, you know, and I'm I'm the most well behaved one generally. Maybe maybe yeah, probably. Arguably, but anyway, that's good. Um, you keep the band together. You keep them on the straight and narrow. I try to, I try to, but I'm, <laughs> I'm very good these days. Um, all right, the next one from Paul. Uh, given that the Outlaw Orchestra cuts across a wide range of genres, what has been the most unorthodox tour, support slot, or gig that the band have played? I mean, what do you answer that straight away? I think that the tour. Uh, with with you guys because we kind of thought right you know Phil Campbell over to head and obviously what you guys do sort of it's obviously not metal but it's very hard rock and like I was saying earlier in, in the in the podcast when we got the email saying you know we want to support Phil Campbell and we just thought how are we going to sit with, with with the kind of the the sort of fans who obviously been listening to Motorhead for so many years and, and obviously been listening to you guys it's a bit similar when we did. Um, Buckle and Boots, and it's obviously a pure country festival, you know. And we thought, right, how are we? Do we ta- tailor our set to appeal to the country fans, or do we just do what we do, which is you know, what we did in the end? And people were just saying, "Have you got anything heavier?" And we were like, "It's a country festival." You're asking us if we've got anything heavier. And I was like, "Oh God!" Um, but yeah, when we played with you guys, the, the reaction we got obviously from you and the fans was not, not shocking as such, but it was just really. It's just really great because it just showed obviously that the, the rock scene is it spreads across every every genre um and because of the you know the, the fusion of western country southern or whatever you want to call it you know some of the genres even like say country there's you know for some people there's a nostalgia because i mean guaranteed like a lot of metal fans a lot of rock fans they've listened to to, to johnny cash or, or whatever yeah. um so people can kind of I don't know, sort of, there'll be one, you know, one song will tailor to their taste of that genre, and, and you know. Um, so, yeah, the tour with you guys was just surprising. We didn't know how, how we would go down. Um, and like I said, people loved it. So it was, yeah, an, an incredible yeah, experience cool. that, you know, you can sort of appeal to sort of anyone. Yeah, cool. That's good. That's good to know and um, interesting to know. If you want to know the story as to why we chose you, it, a lot of it was to do with, with that you were a three-piece because <laughs> we, we wanted another band that would have less gear, yeah. even though you have quite a lot of gear for like a three-piece, but <laughs> it was like, a, you know, a band that would be quick to get on and off the stage. And obviously, yeah, musically, we thought the music was interesting. Um, and yeah, we kind of just like did a bit of research. And I think I think months before, you were on some form of shortlist that our agent sent to us with like 10 bands that 
had showed interest in supporting us. And then I, I'm not sure if you were on that or not, but I think, yeah, we, we picked you from that. But yeah, if anyone was wondering. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, we, we sort of wondered. And then I remember Todd, he'd said, oh, yeah, you know, we just thought, we know you, you know, we've seen your name and you're nice, decent guys and play interesting music and thought, yeah, yeah, give it, give it a go. So again, you know, whose ever choice it was, you know, just, yeah, obviously all of you, thanks for, you know. No, it was cool. And yeah, it was good. No worries. And, and when you say like about the music, we just play blues really loud and quite fast, which isn't incredibly dissimilar to like the kind of the country kind of everything's mm. everything's based on the blues in some way. So I think I think when you get your heavy metal kind of Motorhead fan coming to see us, Motorhead just played rock and roll blues really loud and fast. So yeah. so I think you know it's. I think that's why people can still enjoy the music you guys play, but also still listen to Slayer. Like, like you said, you're a bit, you're a Slayer yeah. fan and, and yeah, everyone's open-minded. And I think it, the, the rock world and metal world is more open-minded than, than some people might think. So, um, yeah, cool. Good yeah, to know. No, I agree. All right. Um, this is another one from Gareth Richards. I don't know what your answer is going to be if you have an answer, so we'll see. Okay. <laughs> I think he definitely would have seen you at two of the shows. I am really interested in Ryan's influences. I guess we've touched on a few of those. Also, which other instruments is he proficient at playing, if any? <laughs> so, so the last, the last part of that question, it's a bit of a cop out. Um, but I say the other instrument I play is percussion. <laughs> and it's yeah. a bit of a, I'm cheating in a way because kind of percussion isn't an instrument. It's just a, a scaled down drum kit without kind of drums. Although when we did a gig up in the, the Lake District, I've always kind of been quite good at, at congas and, and bongos and whatever. Yeah, cool. And I basically messaged this guy who ran a kind of like a, what's the cash converters or whatever. And, um, he had some bongos and I thought, look, okay, I'm going to buy some bongos. I'm going to go up to this, do this gig in, in the Lake District and, and play them. Cause I love, you know, kind of Santana and lots of kind of like psychedelic stoner. And, you know, you hear Blackberry Smoke as well. You hear sort of the, the congas and bongos. It just sounds really cool. So I basically bought them and, um, and yeah, they, they, they were really good. So yeah, percussion. I said, it's, it's a bit of a cheat. But, um, so yeah, unfortunately I, I don't play anything other than, you know, I, I bang things. That's all right. Loudly and softly and sort of somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, sadly, I, I don't. I think I'm a, yeah, a, a bit too stupid to anything else. But, Nothing wrong with that, man. But, but influences, I mean, like I said, Michael Miley, you know, he's been an influence for a long, a long, long time. Um, Matt Halpin from Periphery is, is sort of a quite an influence again you kind of you'll think you know he, he plays tech metal or, or gent which is spelled d-j-e-n-t um how you know how does that sort of transpose into southern rock or whatever but it's just almost sort of non-conformist sort of feels you know the way he might help and plays he doesn't put things on the one and that you know he puts them in these really weird places that you wouldn't they're like sevenths or eights like really weird places and again like i said because i'm not um trained or, or you know theory based um i did a clinic with him 
actually at the garage in London, um, you know, um, got a ticket before the gig and he kind of explained, you know, his, his, his playing and how he does it. Now, if you listen to Periphery or even like bands like Meshuggah or whatever, you know, you just think, well, what, what note is that or what beat is that cymbal or was that kick coming in? And the way he broke it down, he said, look, you know, essentially this song, this is what I'm playing, it's a 4-4 because, you, you know, basically did the kick and the snare and you think, right, that's a 4-4. You think, yeah, that's simple. And it's almost like um, building a cake in layers. You start from the bottom, then you start with another layer and you just build it up and build it up and eventually you've got the whole thing. And then he sort of did the symbols and where he put those in. And you think, oh, bloody hell, it's really complicated. But when you remember from the beginning, he's like, actually, no, kick snare, it's just a 4-4. Everything else are just in different places, but I'm just playing a 4-4. And when you break it down, it kind of is a, you know, a, a simple bass rhythm. But um, mm. so, yeah, he's been a, a, a big influence. There's a Bonham just with his, his pedal work. I guess that's why I don't do double pedal is, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I'm a, a purist or anything, but I kind of, want to be able to do really cool licks on, on the kick with just one pedal. I kind of don't want to, because you get some bands, and I'm not saying this applies to all double pedal users, but you could do a triple, obviously, really easily with a double pedal. You could make a simple fill sound like, wow, that's incredible, but it is kind of the double pedal that's kind of, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so Bonham, I said Michael Miley, all the, like, listen to all the rockabilly and the rock and roll from, I said, Buddy Holly, big band music, swing, you know, I just love listening to, it's, it's, I guess the way I'm describing my playing is you kind of sit back in the rhythm rather than kind of sitting on top of it. Mm. You let all the other instruments kind of do their thing and you're sitting back kind of driving the music. You're not taking away from all the other instruments, you know, you, you, you're complementing it, but you're not kind of overdoing it. Um, you drum in for the song. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the perfect way to describe it. You are drumming for the song. You're not drumming for you. You're not, you know, you're drumming for the song. So, but yeah, like I said Slayer. I just love Lombardo. Um, I love, yeah, um, I've forgotten the Mastodon drummer's name, but he's, is it Daler, Brand Daler? But yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, Ringo Starr. And obviously, you know, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles, but I think he was great. You listened I think to he him. was. I think he was the best he's, drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> you watch, um, I don't know if you watch the latest, uh, I think, um, documentary on Netflix, but there's loads of videos where you watch how Ringo plays. It's actually almost like a metal drum. He's really hitting them hard. Yeah. Because, because you know, they don't have stage monitors and everything like that. You know, he had to play loud to kind of keep everyone in, in time. That was kind of the reason why he played like he did. Um, I kind of, yeah, some of the ways he played, you know, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, you know, listen to his drumming on that. Phenomenal, you know. Mm, absolutely. Amazing. And I, I never understood why there was always this thing about Ringo Starr not being a great drummer because everything I've heard, like I didn't get into the Beatles till I was like mid-20s. I don't know how I didn't, but I was like, I was like, well, this this music's incredible. This drumming is incredible. I was really interested in every song. Is not not every song, but there's loads of songs with completely unique kind of grooves on that I've never heard before. And this guy's just made them up. And he's got his own kind of style with the way he does fills. And like, even the other day on one of the new songs we were recording in the studio, I was like, oh... I think my brother suggested, why don't you try like a Ringo fill? It's like we, he's yeah. even got his own kind of 
way of describing it like a, a feel like a ringo feel feel so i was like yeah let's do that let's do that but yeah i have what do you mean the get back documentary is that what you mean yeah that's it yeah oh, on, on disney yeah yeah yeah. I, yeah I watched it all over christmas it was yeah it was amazing so um anyone who's got eight hours to spare go and watch that <laughs> <laughs> but it is amazing whether you're a beatles fan or not i think you can appreciate how music is made and created and and just how amazing the beatles were back then before all this other music that we've been talking about existed they were doing this you know in the in the 60s incredible really even keith moon like um live you watch him he's an he's an absolute animal you know and obviously a lot of his um escapades um they just watch <laughs> the way he plays again him he's just so so unique his fills the way he and this thing dave i remember said when I did my first gig with Hazard County, is rather than kind of sitting down and back, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of lean over, so almost lean forwards with like the the the, the mm. drums behind me. And I, I don't know if that's just naturally how I've always drummed, but just kind of, I think Dave would say, you know, sort of a, a lead drummer, you know, mm. as much as you kind of, you, you sit back, drum for the song, you know, you kind of, yeah, you drive the song, you kind of obviously make bits, certain bits stand out when, sort of when, when, um, when they need to so yeah but yeah the way Wayne plays is just incredible even charlie watts you know from the stones he's a a, a a fantastic drummer i'd say simple in a way but just you know occasionally you just hear a film and think, oh god you know you just don't expect to hear that you know and you listen to like gimme shelter it's one of my favorite stone songs i mean yeah what, what can you, you say yeah. the way he drums on it you know it's subtle but it, makes it just people... compliments the song perfectly. Yeah, it makes people tap their feet, want to dance, nod their head. And, and that's kind of the role in that kind of style of music as well, uh, the, the kind of the dance. I know it's it's not dance music, but it makes people want to dance to it. You know you know what I mean? Rock and roll kind of rock music. But um, no, cool. Um, I think we've got a few similar influences there. I don't know so much about the kind of the metal busy drummers that you mentioned. So I, need, I know of the names more than I know of their work. I know some of the Macedon stuff, um, but I've never, I can't say I've ever listened to Periphery, but so many drummers rave about that band. So I need, I need yeah. to go and check them out. But um, You need was... to check out um, a band called Tesseract, who again, similar sort of genre, the gent metal. Uh, they're great, Tesseract. Check out a Dutch band called Textures, quite shouty. Um, I do like shouty music. Um, <laughs> they're phenomenal. Again, the drumming's uh, brilliant. And, one of my favourite bands who split up recently, a band called Every Time I Die. I don't know if you heard of them. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I know, I know um, that band. Yeah, yeah. They, they sort of split up recently. But yeah, again, there is drumming, um, you know, their drumming style. So much aggression, again, energy. It's, it's, you know, it suits the music. But again, just you hear some fills just out of nowhere. You think, where did that come from? You know, just hmm. completely um, unplanned. But yeah. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but... <laughs> no, I'll check them out. Yeah, I'll check them out. Um, remind me on, on Messenger. I'll go and check them out. Yeah, and, I'll send um, you. Great. Um, so now, before we get to the end, I've got my slightly revamped quickfire round. So um, some questions you want to answer as quick as possible so our listeners get to know well, you. I'll tell you the Lemmy story afterwards as well because I know Dave Dave will be very disappointed if, oh, yeah. if I don't. <laughs> I was going to... I was going to, yeah, ask about the Lemmy story. Let's do the quickfire, then the Lemmy story because I know there's a lot of people who listen to this who like Lemmy and Motorhead. So, right, quick fire round. Favourite food? Um, 
Uh, uh, Peter. Okay. Favorite movie? Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Sexy Beast. Okay. Guitar or bass? Guitar. Nylon or wood tip? Wood. John Bonham or Neil Peart? John Bonham. Beatles or the Rolling Stones? Beatles. Big or small venue? Across between the two, um, small. Favorite time signature to play? I love a, I love a three four. Three four, interesting. Favorite rhythm section? Uh, elaborate. <laughs> well, like a uh, sorry, like a drummer and bass player, like we're in a band together. Like, have you got a particular uh, favorite rhythm section? Uh, Michael Miley and um. I forget the name of the bass player in Rival Sons, but those two. They are good, actually. Fair play. I don't know his name either. Sorry, whoever you are. <laughs> you are very good. Very talented. Um, name an underrated band. Underrated band, apart from us. Um, We've talked about you and us. So, literally so many out there, you kind of forget who who's where. Um, anyone you recommend? Like any Any local bands or anyone... That needs I, a bit of a exposure. We played with we played with us quite a few times, and they're just brilliant. Uh, is a band called Trouble County. Uh, they're sort of Portsmouth-ish based, I think. Um, again, three piece, um, and yeah, they play kind of hard fuzz, grungy blues. Hmm. Um, I know they did a gig with the Von Hertz and Brothers at the Wedgwood Rooms a while ago. Um, okay. they're, they're great really smashing lads um, again very talented musicians um, but I'd say yeah go go check them out they're you know really 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 good uh, and I don't think you know they always get the um, yeah the, the recognition they, they deserve because it's such a minefield you know um, all the new bands coming out but yeah they're great Trouble County very cool. good thank you favourite album of all time oh Christ this changes so often, but... What's the first one that comes to mind? Um, uh, it's gone now. Uh, Songs for the Death, um, Queens of the Stone Age. Cool, cool, cool. Favourite drummer Possibly of all... quite cliche, but it's just such a no, good No, no, it is amazing, it is amazing. Uh, Favourite drummer of all time? <laughs> I've got to say Michael Miley. Cool. Cool. Uh, just, yeah. Michael Miley, please come on the show one day. Yes. That would be nice. That would be good. Um, that would be great. Um, okay. Lemmy story, please. So when I was sort of earlier in, in, the, uh, in the conversation, um, I was saying, you know, we had friends out in the, the States. Um, Dave um, went out to the States and he met... Um, this guy called Buzzy, who's in a band called Laidlaw, and they've toured with like Van Halen and ZZ Top. And um, so basically, they've established a sort of big network of friends over in, in sort of the States, Long Beach, California, to be precise. Buzzy's a good friend of ours, has a studio over there called Buzz Tone Studios, and he's put some guitar on the new record. He's done it on Pantomime Villains, I think. Um, and he's, yeah, such a good, good guitar player. And Trish, his wife, um, she's laid do down vocals on the new record and 
uh, pantomime villain. So yeah, he's got a good um, a good network over there. So Dave, obviously being out in the states, he used to be in a, a Stones tribute band called Satisfaction out there, and obviously he'd frequent places like the, the Viper Rooms and, and the Rainbow Bar and Grill, and famously on the you know the Lemmy documentary, you know Lemmy did sort of go there quite a lot just just to have a drink. Two so, times. <laughs> a few times. <laughs> so Dave gave me a story which he wanted me to, to read out. So apologies for not memorizing it. And apologies if I do a bad Lemmy impression, because sometimes I listen, I think he's, he's not from Yorkshire. Um, but so if I do sound like a, a Yorkshireman, I'm not obviously yeah, <laughs> okay. trying to portray him as, as, a, as a flat cap Yorkshireman. But um, <laughs> so this is Dave. So Lemmy said to me at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, just as I was about to pass out after me, him and Kathy, Kathy being Dave's partner, um, shared a bottle of Jägermeister. And Lemmy said to Dave, Dave, the next motorhead arm is going to be called Send, Send My Regards to Southampton. And that was just before Dave was about to, uh, to pass out on the floor from being out drunk by Lemmy, which I think most people did. And... Uh, let me said to, to Dave in, in the Rainbow Barn Grill, hey, Dave, have you married that, that Kathy yet? Because she sure as shit can do better than you. And Dave <laughs> said, only if you're the best man and you can get Elvis to come down the service and get a midget porn star to walk us down the aisle. Uh, and that was kind of the end of that story, um, amongst others. And, and the um, end of the conversation. <laughs> No, <laughs> there, there, there was another occasion, okay. again, Rainbow Barn Grill, which I have missed. Which uh, Dave said uh, another time in the Rainbow Barn Grill, Nikki D said to me, Hey, Lem, Ron Jeremy's checking out Dave's missus's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I would have oh. loved to have been, I always think I was born in the, in the wrong era, you know, um, you know, would have loved to see Zeppelin and Buddy yeah, Holly yeah, and all. Totally. And uh, yeah, Dave's got, so, you know, a lot of. A lot of stories um she'll see here at, at the shows but yeah meeting lemmy i would have loved, loved to have done because yeah just such a character um you know a, a great musician as much as he was you know maybe too loud for some people's taste but yeah very you know, it's kind of like a yeah it's kind of like a a sort of a yeah our connection to lemmy you know through um through dave and obviously dave's had lots of fond memories of just, you know, Lemmy taking the piss out of him. I think Dave used to be in a band called Stranglehold, which were like a um, sort of, yeah, metal metal band, chests out, leather and, and studs and this, that and the other. And I think Dave at one point, again, is part of the story, he gave the CD to um, to Lemmy and Lemmy turns around to Mickey and says, hey, Mickey, here's another beer mat. Yeah. Uh. And Dave got really sort of heartbroken because that was like what, back in the day, it was one of his bands he was really proud of and he's saying he's saying you know my cd is a beer mat and sort of let me saying oh, that's because you all look like a bunch of girls you know piss taken out of you by lemmy you know i think you'd be quite um quite happy with that to be honest <laughs> exactly that's pretty cool that's pretty cool and, and just i just thought of something funny for the listeners when you mentioned ron jeremy <laughs> again this was in america I believe House of Blues, LA, perhaps. I was there with my family. Maybe it was a Motorhead gig. I think it probably was a Motorhead. It was definitely a gig. And I was probably mm, 13, 14, you know, early teenager. Didn't know who Ron Jeremy was. <laughs> and uh, my brother 
goes, oh, you know that guy over there? I was like, yeah. I'll go and ask him if you can have a photo with him. I was like, why? <laughs> don't worry. You don't need to know why. Just go and do it. Go and do it. So I, I have got a, I've got a photo. It's not a selfie, I guess. My brother must have taken the photo with, with me and Ron Jeremy when I was like 14 or something. And I shook his hand, which is a bit... Looking back, a bit gross. That's a bit weird. Yeah, and the, hand, the, hand, yeah, the hand's been, the hand's been many places. But, oh, um, God. <laughs> yeah, so I, if I can find that photo, I don't know. It might be on my phone or on, on one of my hard drives somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, upload it for everyone to see. Was it probably... shorter or longer? Oh, I, I, if I remember rightly, I've got bleach blonde hair, spiky, sticking out of a visor. Not cool at all. I was weird. I don't know. It must have been during a weird pop punk phase or something. That well, probably was if I was that age. But yeah, yeah. If I can find that, uh, Ron Jeremy used to hang around a lot. Right. So thanks for the story. That was great. And now this is the time where you have to tell me who would be in your dream band, dead or alive. You on drums. Who would be playing the other instruments? See, I've always had a dream of having a band with three drummers in it. So me as the main one, of course. Um, and I would choose, I would choose Bonham. I would choose Miley. Um, on guitar, actually, no, I'm going to go bass. I'd have Tom, Tom Araya from, from Slayer. Um, and on guitar, I would have... Eddie Van Halen. Ooh. But also, I can't think of any, I should do, any famous Hammond organ players, but I would have one bitching Hammond organ player because I love Royce and the band. John Lord? Hammond, huh? John Lord from Deep Purple. Didn't he play a Hammond organ or something like that? Yeah. Possibly. Or, I don't know my organs very well. I could, I could have said Rick Wakeman, but oh. I know, find him a bit irritating, so probably not him. But yeah. I'd love to have a Hammond organ player in, in my dream band. I'd love to have a Hammond organ player in the Outlaw Orchestra, but having a Leslie speaker weighs a ton and Hammond organs are massive. But um, Yeah, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be able to support us if you have a no. Hammond organ player as well. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only half well, joking. But that, <laughs> that, that, that would probably be a dream lineup amongst other sort of hundreds. But I've always thought Eddie Van Halen's just just, just phenomenal. Um, just makes it look look yeah, so yeah. easy, yeah, yeah. Um, and just such a, such a great a great player, um, you know, effortless. Yeah. What about a singer then? <laughs> I I would probably choose someone like Aretha Franklin wow. or Diana Ross. You know, change it up a bit. You know, kind of make it a. Both strange but interesting band get someone from the from the motown era awesome you That's know kind cool. of play sort of heavy swung kind of motown met yeah it's almost motown metal blues <laughs> sounds amazing that, sounds that incredible I, it just have someone with like a real yeah you listen to diana ross phenomenal vocals whether that would sit well with tom Araya, you know i don't know i'm sure he'd dig it He's probably into his Motown. Probably is. Those guys of that age, you imagine they probably a lot of them would have grown up on that kind of stuff, or at least had it shoved down their throats. I reckon. 
Because they probably what? like they probably like the Spice Girls secretly, but no one will ever tell. <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like talking about the Spice Girls. I think I remember like because I was like in school, and I was obviously brought up on rock music. Like everyone else in school wasn't. I was like the only kind of rock music guy, and like I was probably the only household that didn't have the Spice Girls album. I, I honestly think that's true. I reckon every other household and family would have someone in the family had the Spice Girls album, but we never had it. Anyway, I might be wrong. Probably not. I think good on you if you didn't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they got, they got some tunes, man. But um, no, thanks for thanks for doing this today. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's been really great. We've probably talked more today than we did on the entire tour. We had to be a little <laughs> bit careful because of the COVID thing. And I, I know, like, it was nice yeah. to uh, to chat to each other before the sound check and when we were setting up merch and stuff. But uh, that's the one thing about that tour that we didn't get to hang out as much as we normally would if the times yeah. were normal, you know? And we were just being extra careful. Um, and it worked because we got to the end of the tour. And I know a lot of other bands that were on tour in similar at similar times, same month or the month after, where they didn't make it to the end of the tour because someone yeah. went down with COVID. So I think we did the right thing. Uh, it made it a lot less fun. Uh, a lot less social, but, um, you know, in terms of not disappointing the fans and the crowd and having to delay things and postpone things, I think we did the right thing. But um, thanks for being a part of the tour as well. No, like I said, it was, a, it was a pleasure. And like I said, there'll be times to have have a beer and, yeah. you know, have uh, have more chats. Yeah, if you give me a shout if you're ever at um, any festivals that we're at. Um, I, we're doing loads as well. I don't. I couldn't tell you what they're all called, but um, there's a lot this summer. So fingers crossed, it'll go ahead. Um, and yeah, check out the Outlaw Orchestra. There's loads of stuff on Spotify. If you if you want to buy the physical CDs, go on the website and uh, buy them directly from the band. It really helps the band more than you think. Uh, a lot more than Spotify. Um, and you, you've probably got. I remember your, your merch was quite cool. Your t-shirts were pretty cool as well. So. Um, Help Dave, Dave prints print them himself. He's yeah. got a screen printing system at, at home, and yeah, he he prints all the uh, all, all, all the t-shirts. Amazing, proper DIY. See, that's a proper DIY. <laughs> yeah, exactly, proper, proper DIY. I'm all for that. That's great. No, but um, yeah, thanks. Um, have a great evening, and um, I'll let you know uh, when we come in round to your part of the world next time, and you do the same, please. Ab absolutely. And before I go, because Dave's going to get pissed off at me about the Bill and Ted quote it's be excellent to each other so everyone be excellent to each other and um, how could I forget so. of course it is yeah now great uh, thanks everyone thanks for listening and see you next time cheers Run for the Song podcast thanks for listening to this episode of Drum for the Song podcast if you've enjoyed this, please consider liking the video and subscribing if you're watching on YouTube, or subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you could leave me a review or comment, that would be fantastic too, as it helps other people discover this show. Please also consider sharing this with any family members or friends who might enjoy the content. You can also follow me on social media at Dane underscore drums or at Drum for the Song or search for Drum for the Song on Facebook to follow the page and join the official Facebook group. If you'd like to support the podcast, you could purchase some merchandise from drumforthesong.com or consider supporting me via Patreon 
from just £3 per month for additional exclusive content like bonus episodes, video calls with myself, competitions, discounts and much more. Any additional support is always greatly appreciated, but I would like to give extra special thanks to my top tier Groove Master patrons whose names are listed in the description below. My name is Dane Campbell and thanks so much for watching or listening this far. If you're a drummer, don't forget to drum for the song.